Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. All right, Revo, what's up? My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, let me catch you up because we're in the middle of this series uh, called, like, Can I Do That? Is That Okay? So we've been answering these questions. Week one, we, we uh, looked at a passage that addressed gray areas of Scripture. What if like God is not clear on whether we can or can't do that. Can we eat that? Can we drink that? Can we smoke that? Uh, can we do that to our bodies? Can other people do that to their bodies? Like, where, what, are, what do we ask ourselves in those gray areas? And so we looked at this text and it gave us four questions to ask ourselves, to this rubric to fall through as we live our lives. Last week was all about winning. Did you know that you and I, everyone in here, whether you're on Team Jesus or not, every one of us is called to run a race and to win. Like, not just to participate, not just to show up, but to actually win. And what I'm afraid of is that a lot of Christians are satisfied with simply just showing up. We're just satisfied with just being a member, maybe, of a church, and we're not in it to win it. Is that okay? Can we really be here and just be satisfied with a participation ribbon? or just showing up and being a member on the team when God has specifically called us to win. Um, And so today, I want to talk about maybe an easier subject. I want to talk about something that probably everybody here agrees with. We're all on the same page. It's it's safe. It's tame. It's non-confrontational. Probably you and every one of your friends and everyone that you hang out with in your sphere of influence probably already believes the same thing about this. We are all on the same subject. Today, let's talk about gender, right? Easy subject to address. In 2014, I want to show you the cover of Time magazine. It had an actor on the front of it from a hit TV show called Orange is the New Black. It was a transgender uh, actor. And the front cover reads this, Transgenderism is the new civil rights frontier for our generation. Pretty telling because in June of 2015, Bruce Jenner, the former Olympic decathlete, appeared on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine and the title of the article was simply, Call Me Caitlin a transgender actor. In 2016, Target stores kind of made a, uh, a big deal about of a decision that they made. They were going to allow every one of their customers to choose which bathroom they went into based on your felt gender or however you chose to identify, not on your biological sex. And so a lot of, a lot of fears and a lot of things happened as a result of that. Uh, one thing that happened was in 2016, the governor of North Carolina uh, put into law House Bill 2, which prohibited people in the state of North Carolina from going to public bathrooms that did not correspond with their biological sex. In other words, you can't choose which bathroom you go to. It doesn't matter how you feel or how you choose to identify today. It is all about your biological sex. Well, you saw, as being residents of North Carolina, many of you, you saw the fallout from that. They were rock stars and entertainers and musicians that basically canceled concerts. They said, we're not going to come and 
and promote our industry and our business. We're not going to entertain fans in this state as long as these are the rules. Um, the NBA pulled the All-Star game out of Charlotte for this. NCAA canceled football games and, and playoff games in the state of North Carolina as a result of this. And so there continued to be fallout. That was followed by uh, May of that year. Um, then President Obama wrote an open letter to all of the public schools in the United States strongly suggesting that they allow students to use whatever bathroom that they would like depending on how they identify that particular time period of their life. And if you did not comply, then you are at risk of losing your federal funding. And lawsuit after lawsuit has come as a result of that. Of course, social media was way ahead of the curve because in 2014, you could start a personal profile on Facebook, and it gives you 71 different options to choose from when you want to pick which gender you are. 71 different ways that you can identify on your personal profile. So let me, let me just make an obvious conclusion about where we're at today. Gender is in a state of confusion. Like not a lot of people know what to believe. Should we care? Does it matter? Can we choose does it matter how I'm born versus how I feel? And does that matter in my life? Does that matter in, in other people's lives? And so we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it because everybody's talking about it. And here's what's lacking in the conversation today. Everyone's talking about maybe what I think or how I feel or what I think is true. Who's looking at this conversation about like, did anybody say like, what does God think about it? I think that's what's lacking from the conversation today. So as, as a local church, man, we're going to look at it, and it's something that Paul even had to address. He addressed gender roles. This is not a new thing in the world today. Like We may just be encountering it in our country, but, but even in Scripture, Paul had to address questions about gender. Why is everyone talking about it? What, what difference does it really make? So there are a lot of different perspectives that people have on gender, a lot of different ways that maybe you've got a, a, an opinion about it, maybe you've formulated some thoughts around it, and that's influenced by a lot of different things. Some people here believe what they believe about gender because of their political affiliation. Right? Because I'm a Democrat or because I'm a Republican, this is, this is the company line, this is, this is what we all believe. For some people, it's a financial issue. I remember reading articles in the uh, Charlotte Observer of businesses that were upset at the decision that the governor had made about uh, outlawing the use of transgender restrooms, not because they actually cared about the issue, but because they said, it's costing my business money. Like, if we don't vote for this, I'm going to lose money. And my business may suffer as a result of it. So for some people, it's a, a financial decision. For some people, it's a fear issue. Uh, maybe if you've got daughters, maybe if you're here today or, and you're, you're married, you think, man, I, I don't want some guy in the bathroom creeping on my wife and my daughters when they're in there. And so it, it was fear that said, no, that, that's not right. That's not what we should do. Imagine what could possibly happen as a result of that. For some, it's a personal issue. For some of you, it's just like, this is how I feel. This is what I want. This is what I believe. This is what makes me comfortable, what I say, or what, regardless of which side of the spectrum you fall on. And so this is just a personal decision for me. For some of you, there's a family issue involved. You've got kids or uncles, aunts, cousins, maybe even people that you're going to see this week or on the Thanksgiving table that are struggling with this. 
Maybe there's some gender confusion. Maybe there's transgenderism in in your family already. Maybe there's some questions and things that will be asked. Maybe you're not even looking forward to that because you don't know what to say or don't want to say the wrong thing or don't even know if it it really matters. But for most, I would argue, at, at best, it's a cloudy issue. Should we even care? Does it really matter? Like, why can't we just do this? I'll do me, you do you. Like, I don't care what you do and what decisions you make and, and how you live your life and how you choose to identify. It's got no effect on me. I don't care. That's how a lot of people view it. And it is a, is a personal freedom issue or just, like, I don't even know what I'm actually supposed to, to think. Is that okay? Can we do that? Is that how we should respond? So there's two different ways that, that people view gender today. Um, there's, the first way is gender distinction, right? So on this side, there's two genders, right? There's male and female. They're separate. Those are the two to choose from. They're very distinct. On the other side of the spectrum, there's gender deconstruction. These are people that say, well, male and female really don't exist. In fact, we should totally do away with gender altogether because in the past, gender has actually proven to be kind of an oppressive thing. That certain genders were looked down on, were not as valuable, didn't have as much worth. And so we looked down on it as a, as a detrimental thing. If we could just scratch gender or if we could redefine gender, then it would actually make the playing field a little bit more fair. You have people that view complementary gender, which means man and woman, they're equal, they are the same, they are of equal value and worth, they're not above or behind each other, they're they're side by side, they complement each other. But other people take on this view of, really it's an egalitarian view, where there's a fight, where this happens the most is in the workplace right now, where people are fighting for genders to be the exact same. Not, not complementary as it is indifferent, but on the same level, but like they are the exact same. There's no difference in man and woman. One of the ways that this plays out is, unfortunately, in the history of our country, uh, women have not been afforded the same opportunities that men have in, in, in many cases. There's a thing called a pay gap right now where women get paid 79 cents to every $1 that a man gets paid for doing the same work. So that shouldn't be, Right? I mean, I feel like we can have some common ground no matter what side of the issue that you fall on. Like, we, we believe, I think that, that we should believe that, that men and women can fulfill the same responsibilities in the workplace. It's not that one can be a boss and one can't be a boss or one can be the CEO or hold a certain position and the other one can't. Like, that, that just doesn't seem correct. That doesn't seem like it's the right direction. But how far do we actually go in that? We've got people that are fighting on both sides to make genders equal or to to maybe keep it the same as the way it is, and they have distinct roles and responsibilities. But but do they? Like, aren't we all just the same? Aren't we just human beings? Why do we have to break it down into so many different categories? We're trying to find some common ground, I feel like, with a lot of people, but again, at, at the very best, gender is unclear right now. Do we care? What difference does it make? Should we care? Should we say something? Should we take a stand? Should we just let people do whatever they want to do? Their life doesn't affect me anyway. This is my personal life. You live your life and I'll live mine. Here's a big question though. What does God say about gender? Because I feel like right now there's a ton of voices yelling and speaking so that their opinion can be heard. But like, I'm really interested in what God has to say. As followers of Jesus, that's why we live our lives. 
We want to know, what, what does God say about this? Can we choose? Can we go back and forth? Is there a difference between the way we're born and the way we feel? Can we do that? Is this okay? And so I want to look at Scripture in, in one verse in, in 1 Corinthians that Paul kind of blows the lid off this gender role, but then I want to throw it back to the book of Genesis. Come to find out, from the very beginning, from the very creation of the world, God has been talking about gender. And so I want to look at it this morning. I want to give you three simple things to know about gender. I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm not trying to help you win an argument. I don't want you to go get in an argument after this. I just want you to know what the Bible says. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to leave knowing what the Bible says about gender. And if you're here today and you're not on Team Jesus, like you have probably heard some crazy things said by some Christians. But I want you to leave here knowing, hey, this is what God says. This is, what, this is what Scripture says. So here's, here's what Paul does to stir the pot. They've called him into question about some things on gender. And in, and in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians verse 3, here's what Paul says. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Anybody else want to preach this one? There may be a few different things running through your mind right now. Some of these guys heard that and they said, the man is the head of the woman. And what you're thinking is, mm-hmm, that's what I'm talking about. Did you hear? I like this church. I'm thinking about joining today. <laughs> Hand me a connection card. My family is calling Revo Church home. There may be some ladies in the room that are like, did he just say that? Did he just say, is, are we in 1950 right now? Like, he is so out of touch. Like, obviously this guy named Paul does not know what he's talking about. Some of you are nervous about what I'm going to say next. Some of you are like, praise God, I didn't invite somebody today, right? <laughs> yeah, hey, welcome to church. We're talking about gender, right? I'm so glad. Dodge that bullet. So glad that my neighbor keeps telling me no, they don't want to go to church with me because this would have been a, a bad Sunday. Well, let me, let me just drop this on you. Much like a lot of other issues that we find in our culture today, gender is one of those issues that is often misunderstood. And people think they know what the Bible says about it, and they think they know what Christians should think or what Jesus would have done, but, but what people think and what the Bible actually says, I hate to break this to you, is oftentimes totally different. And so I want to look, just three simple things that the Bible says about genders. Three ways that we can kind of wrap our minds around this concept and, and we can know actually what it says. So from the very beginning, chapter 1, the first page of the Bible, like right after God wrote the table of contents, he was like, first page of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, here's what God said. Middle of the creation story. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. From the very beginning, God establishes gender. Like 26 verses into this book. Like it's not just something tagged in the back. Like it's not like the book of Revelation and God's like, oh snap, I forgot to say something about gender. Let me jot it down real quick. It's on the first page. Like from the very beginning, God establishes what this gender is. And, and, and here's, the, here's the first point that I want to share with you. If you're taking notes, you may jot this down. Gender has a purpose. 
Gender has a purpose. You may have heard something on the opposite end of that. You may think it doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter how you identify. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. We're all one. We're all equal. It, it does, like This is just something that divides us. It's just something that we made up, and it's actually not. God, from the very beginning, created it. And listen, like God didn't fill up a bunch of pages on the stuff that he created. He didn't go into a tremendous amount of detail. So if gender makes the list, like it's not like a list of 10,000 things and gender is one of them. I mean, these are a few verses God spends making it very clear on what he created and how he did it. And, and gender made the list. That communicates that gender matters. Gender actually has a purpose. See, in Genesis chapter 1, God created gender. He said he created them, human beings, in his image, man and woman, male and female. Now, this is not what God does. God does not say, I created male and female. I said that it was good, but what do you guys think? Because I can change it if you want to. Like, I know you guys are smart. If we want to rearrange it or you want, like, the next Bibles that are printed, we can just erase this verse out of it if you want to. Like, what do you guys think? No, that's not what he does. He doesn't say, like, if you don't think there's a purpose behind it, then that's, then that's cool. No, from the very beginning, he says it, it has a purpose, and here's the purpose. It's built into that verse. It says, you and I were made in the very image of God. The genders communicate something different about God. See, God made man, and he didn't say, well, that, that's whole, that's complete, that's the only one that matters, this is the most important. Man, you are perfect. No, he looked at man and said, it's not complete. There's got to be something else because there are attributes of God that the male race, or the, the, the male sex does not communicate. There are attributes that females alone do not embody the entire image of God. And so God had to make male and female both show his image. Both are complementary. We can't just do away with one because in essence we're doing away with part of who God is. We don't look at God and say, I like your nose, but I don't like your mouth, so we're going to do away with that part of the image. We're just not going to have mouths anymore. Like, let's just rearrange the image of God. God said, this is how I created it. It has a purpose. It's not because I just wanted to. You and I have a purpose in our gender in showing the very image of God. Women in here, you show an attribute and characteristics and qualities of God that men don't have, and, and, and vice versa. So it matters. It is. It's, it's important. Does gender matter? Absolutely. God communicates that from the, the very beginning. It's a way that God uses to show us what he's like, to show us his characteristics. Flip to the next page. We get some more details in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, of, of how God made this decision. Verse 18 reads like this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. He looks and said, man, just man, not good enough. Does not give the whole story. Does not show people exactly who I am. So what does he do? He says, we make female as well. I'll make a companion. I will make you a helper. So here's how it plays out in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. Check out Adam's response. At last, the man explained, this one is what I am talking about. This is what I have been waiting on. This is awesome. She will be called woman. Because when I first saw her, I was like, whoa, man, that is awesome. That's a loose translation. Skip down to 25. 
It says that, but it doesn't. Verse 25, now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Sounds like they're living the dream, man. (laughs) Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Men and women are equal in value and worth. Not only does gender matter, but Scripture communicates from the second chapter of the book, not later, not an afterthought, from the second chapter of the book that men and women are equal in worth and value. And it's time to admit some things in our country's history, even specifically recent history, Women have not been valued and held with as much esteem as men. That's just the way it goes. I mean, I hate, I hate to admit that, but, but that's the truth. And let, let me explain that. How do we define value, right? What, what makes a person valuable? Well, in, in many cases, we define value by what people attribute to society, right? So that means the man that works is a lot more valuable than the mom that stays at home because she's not giving any money. She's not contributing to society. She's not accumulating wealth. And some people believe that that determines worth, that determines value. Other people, I mean, you think about women's suffrage, women's rights, voting rights. I mean, even the last 50 years in our country, we've made efforts to communicate that men and women are of equal value and worth. But take a trip around the country. I mean, just in the news this year, you know, you know what Saudi Arabia is, is being celebrated for right now? In the year 2018, it will be the first time that women are allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia. They can't go out in public without head coverings on. They can't go out in public without their, their husband being there with them. I mean, I know that, that, that we're making some strides, but like even all the way around the world, there's a, there's a huge gap between worth and, and value. I mentioned it earlier, but there's a pay gap. Why? Like, why do women get paid less to do the same thing that a man does? I mean, like, I went to public school and I took math in South Carolina, but that doesn't make sense. Like, that math just, that does not add up. So, so what do we do when, with all these things? What, what, what happens when these things are communicated? I'll tell you what happens. It communicates that one gender is worth more than the other. It communicates that if you happen to be the wrong gender, then that means you are not as valuable. You do not matter as much as maybe other people in society. And so we've been fighting hard in this country over the last 50 years to right that wrong. But you want to know something interesting? Like when I, when I think about what all of the different movements have done in order to, to get equality amongst genders over the last 50 years, I, I can't help but to, to, to think that the very thing that so many people are fighting for is the very thing that the Bible has communicated for 2,000 years. Like sometimes I feel like we, we celebrate our success in making men and women of equal worth and value, and God's like, well, it's about time. <laughs> Yeah, I only wrote that on the first stinking page of the book. Come on, welcome to the party. It's about time you people catch up with what we're doing here. Like, I designed it that way. I made it so that where men and women were of equal value and equal worth, even from the very beginning. But that's oftentimes not how it's communicated. Look, look at what Adam, look at what God did through Adam. When, when God made Eve, where did he take the bone out of Adam's body? Was it out of his chest so that Eve could walk in front of him and kind of like drag him by a leash? No, was it, was it out of his back so that Adam could lord over Eve and she would have to walk in submission to him and constantly be in his shadow? No, Scripture says he took him out of his side. 
off of a rib so that they could walk beside each other complement each other, not lord over each other, or one better than the other. They're walking side by side. They were perfectly made in the image of God, the beautiful design to show people. Even the bone illustrates this point. Like even, even what God used to make the woman illustrates the fact that men and women are of equal value and worth. Last point is, is this. Men and women are distinct in role and responsibility. Gender matters. Men and women are equal in worth and value, but Scripture also communicates that men and women are distinct in their role and their different responsibilities. There are different things that we do, different roles that we have, different responsibilities that we walk through and that we have in this life. So think about this. How do we currently define gender roles? What makes a man a man and a a woman a woman? What makes a male and a female different? So there's a lot of different arguments going on right now. Number one is this, just simple reproductive organs, right? Depending on what you have or what you don't have makes you a man or makes you a woman. Well, that sounds good until we go downstairs to our world, right? And and like just because there's like a little six-year-old baby in the nursery, just because they have certain things, we don't look at them and say, well, there's a man. It's a full-grown man right there. Let's call him a man. Well, he's got, he's got what he needs to be called a man. Let's just call him a man. No, g- gender isn't just about what you have or what you don't have because what we're finding here is now people are going and getting surgeries to add stuff and take stuff away, and they're like, well, because that's what makes me a man. That's what makes me a woman, what I have or what I don't have. That's not what gender's about. That's not what roles are about. Here's one that we often fall into. What makes you a man or a woman, a male or a female, is how you act. Right? How you talk, how you walk, what you do, what you like. We introduce phrases in our culture like this. We look at little boys and say, hey, hey, it's time for you to man up. Time for you to act like a man. That's what makes you a man, how you act. Sometimes I'll look at my girls and when they're doing something they shouldn't do, I'll say, hey, like, when you sit down, close your legs because you need to act like a lady. That's how ladies sit, right? We use little phrases like that, almost like gender, and the roles are how we act. And little boys should go outside. They should roughhouse. They should get dirty. They should play sports, and they should, they should be wild. But little girls should stay inside. They should be prissy and wear pink and big uh, bows in their hair and nice dresses and play with dolls and be all domesticated. That's what makes a girl a girl, and that's what makes a boy a boy. And here's what happens. Somebody gets confused because there's a stereotype in place, and they don't meet the stereotype. I don't talk like that. I don't like the same things. I have different friends. I believe in different things, so now I'm confused. Maybe I was just born in the wrong body because how I feel and how I act does not match my biological sex, so I think I'll change. That's not what gender's about. Gender's not how you feel or how you act or what color clothes you wear or how long your hair is or whether you like to play sports or play with dolls in the house. That's not what makes you you. Third thing is this, man, testosterone versus estrogen. It's a chemical thing. We're going to play to our biological traits. Science says that if you have more testosterone in your body, then you're a man. If you have more estrogen in your body, then you're a woman. Well, you know what you can do today? Men can go get estrogen shots to elevate their level of estrogen in their body and lower their level of testosterone. Women can take pills to increase their testosterone. 
Is that what makes you a man or a woman? Like if you sink enough pills and take enough shots to affect the levels, does it change? Like is that when you officially change teams? Here's the deal. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about gender? Here's what 1 Corinthians 11.3 says. Men are the head. And we even, we even got jokes about that. Like, I've heard women say, yeah, men are the head, but the woman's the neck. <laughs> and the neck tells the head where to turn. <laughs> right, you can be the head all you want to. I'm the neck, son. <laughs> we even joke about that. But, but I want to clear something up. Let me, let me tell you what head means. Because when we read Scripture, when we think head, we think Lord. We think dominator. We think most important. We think most significant. In charge. Abuser. That is not what Scripture says when it says man is the head. This is the Bible's language for saying that man is responsible for the woman. Man is responsible for her flourishing and for her health. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, sexually, all of it. The way God designed it. You are the head, man. You are responsible for that. You are to love her. You are to serve her. You are to protect her. You are to care for her. You are to nourish her. You are to make sure she's in a, in a setting and in a culture where she flourishes in all types of areas. Man, that is what it means to be the head. That is what you are called to do. Let me prove it to you. Remember when Eve bit the apple or the fruit, the snake deceived her? Scripture says that in the cool of the day, God begins to walk through the garden. God knew exactly what had happened. And who did God call for? Adam. He walks in, doesn't find Adam, and he says, Hey, Adam, where are you at? He knows Eve made a mistake. He knows how it played out, but the reason God goes to Adam is because he said, Adam, I left you in charge. You were responsible. You were supposed to protect her. You were supposed to guide her spiritually. You knew she wasn't supposed to do that. You should have stepped in and done something when the serpent began to deceive her. I left you as the head, and you messed up. So head is not something like, I will lord over you, I will tell you what to do, you will submit to every little thing. I say it simply means God put you in the relationship to ensure that the woman flourishes. It's your responsibility. Regardless of what happens, that's the role. That's how God defines what it means to be a male. What it means to be a man in the relationship, specifically there in Adam and Eve. So how about Eve? How about the woman? What does the Bible say? Here's another controversial word because in Genesis chapter 2, Scripture says, I, God said, I'm going to give you a helper. Man, we even messed that word up, right? Because when we think helper, we think secretary. We think gopher does all the errands for us. It means, hey, I'll tell you what to do, and when I tell you to hand it to me, you hand it to me. Like you, you go do the things. It's just like you work for me now, and that's what it means to be a helper when, when in actuality that's not how God laid it out. God looks at Adam and says, you are incomplete. You don't have everything. So I'm going to put this woman in your life that's different gender in order to make it complete, in order to complete this image of God. It was on purpose. There's a role and a responsibility for her. The kind of job that if a woman wasn't here, if there was no uh, female sex and gender, then it wouldn't be complete. 
We can't just say we're going to do away with males and we're going to do away with females. We both have roles and responsibilities. There's both things that God has called us to do. Even if you don't believe that, check this out. Some of you may still think, like, helper, that's a derogatory term. The Hebrew word for helper, ezir, is the same word that God uses to describe himself 16 different times in the Old Testament. Can I shoot you straight? God is never going to give himself a name that means insignificant, that means secondary, that means I am not as good as someone else. God's never going to do that. But yet this same incredible name that he gives Eve is the same name that he takes on himself multiple times in the Old Testament. It's not insignificant. It's not a put down. It's the way God created it. It's the role that he's called us to fulfill. If God chose that name for himself, then that is a role of great importance and significance. And that's how he articulated it here. Gender is important because God created each gender equally, but with distinct roles and responsibilities. Let me leave you with this. If you and I were made in the image of God, like Scripture says we are, then our image should portray the image of a God that is loving, caring, kind, and compassionate. But unfortunately around this issue in the church, I think we've really dropped the ball. I think it breaks God's heart when he sees sexuality and gender just being blurred and confused so much in our world today. I really do. But I believe that God is equally heartbroken at how people that claim to be his people have responded to those people. I think the church has dropped the ball. Instead of opening our arms in loving ways and caring and compassionate, instead we'll throw in a snide remark or say a comment that is very demeaning to people that are different than us, either gender or sexuality. We'll laugh, we'll make a joke, we'll play it off. And I'm just going to tell you, man, that, that's not helping. That doesn't help the cause of Christ. That doesn't help get people to Jesus. That doesn't communicate the image of God that you and I were made of and made into. And obviously we need to stop. One of the reasons why the LGBT community is gathering so much traction today is this. Within themselves, they found community. They found people that will love them. They found people that will care for them. They found people that will listen to them. They found people that will open up their arms and and show compassion and, and lend a listening ear. Does that sound familiar? Oh, wait, that's right. That's what the church is called to do. And the reason why it's getting traction there is because we shut down the traction here. We say you're not welcome here if you're different than us. If you think different, if you act different, if you're confused, like go do that somewhere else. And we'll throw in a joke or a comment or a snide remark. And it's pushing people away from Jesus. When in actuality our response should have been this. If it breaks God's heart, then it ought to break ours. If God cares about it, then we ought to care about it. And just like Jesus gave his life for people like you, he gave his life for people that are different than you. 
and that think different and act different and have a different sexual orientation or a different identity on gender. And I know what you may be thinking, hey, Nathan, wait a minute now, if we love them and we accept them and we wrap our arms around them and we listen, isn't that us basically saying that their choices are great, that, that they're doing the right thing? No, look at Jesus. Jesus hung out with broken people all the time. Jesus never compromised his beliefs. J- Jesus never, never compromised what God had called him to do. He walked the incredible life of loving God but loving people. Of standing firm in what he believed but still open-handed. Still with compassion, still with love and grace and, and mercy. So how can the church today help people that are different? By making sure they know that God loves them and we love them. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Two greatest commands. What are they, Jesus? Love God and love people. That's how Jesus changed the world. That's how Jesus made an impact. And that's exactly what the church can do today as well. Let's learn how to love God and love people.